You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Uh, So here at Cross and Crown, we believe that the Bible is God's word to us. So when we read the Bible, we're hearing God speak. Uh, Today's Bible reading will be taken from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. So I'll be reading from the CSB version, um, and we encourage you to follow along in your own Bibles, but the passage will also be displayed on the screen. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... Make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality from God with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Our friends, let's pray. Father God, I pray today that utterance, words, might be given to me in the opening of my mouth, that as I speak, I might boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel concerning your Son, our Lord, Jesus the Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Well, today is our second Bible talk uh, on Christmas. And I thought I'd start our reflections uh, on Christmas by thinking about fame. You see, in my view, there are several ways in which a person can become famous in our world. Um, And to demonstrate, I am going to put pictures of three people uh, in front of you. At least I hope that's going to happen. Uh, Undoubtedly, you will recognise one or two of them. Maybe some of you will recognise all of them. But as we look at them, I want you to think about what is it that has made them famous. Ask yourself, what makes this person famous in in the world we live in? So here's person number one, hopefully. Yes, you've got it. There's person number one. Now, person number two. And then... I think this one's going to be harder for this particular congregation, person number three. Okay. 
Now, we've had a look at each of these people. Now, let's go back and talk about what it is that makes these people famous. Um, First, think about Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, She's not Australian. What's more, she inherited fame, didn't she? Uh, She was born into it. She had little choice about it, but she has excelled at it, if I could say that. She uh, She is a remarkable, has been a remarkable queen. So, second slide now. For those of you who don't know this man, his name is Ned, or was, Ned Kelly. Now, he's not like Queen Elizabeth, is he? (laughs) He wasn't born into fame at all. No, he earned his fame, or if I could say, his infamy, by his business and his deeds. He was a highwayman. We Australians don't call them that. We call them bush rangers. An outlaw, a gang leader and convicted police murderer in Australia. Famous, but a rogue. And here's our third person. This slide captures what he is famous for. Now, some would say, if he's not the best cricketer, uh, that is, batsman in cricket history, he is certainly very high on the list. The Indians call him the god of cricket. He too was not Australian. Nevertheless, he too has had his impact in Australia, uh, a country that loves its cricket. His name? Sachin Tendulkar. Now, what I've given you here are three criteria for fame. Okay, three criteria. You can be famous because it comes with your identity as a person. Or you can be famous because you do something of great worth or even notoriety. Or you can be famous because people exalt you to fame for one reason or another. Well, today, what I want to do is, uh, with that grid behind us, I want to examine the person of Jesus. And I want to tell you that I think that Jesus is famous for all three reasons. All three. I think he's famous because of his identity. I think he's famous because of what he has done, and I think he's famous because God declared him to be famous. Now, in order to look at this, I've chosen to examine a passage, uh, the passage we read earlier on from the book of Philippians in the New Testament. Now, let me say that before we begin, this passage is a rather special passage in a number of ways. It's special because it's probably an ancient Christian song or poem that the early Christians used to say together when they met together, or maybe even sung together. We're not sure where it came from. We don't know whether Paul made it up himself and circulated around his congregations, uh, or whether he borrowed it from someone else. But it has all the signs of being something Christians regularly used when they met together as Christians. It's a hymn or a poem about Jesus. It tells us who Jesus is, it tells us what Jesus did, and it tells us what God thinks about what Jesus did and thinks that we should think about Jesus. So let's have a look at it together. And if you've got your headings, the heading next is a a divine parabola. The first thing I want you to notice is that it follows a particular action, a parabolic action. It starts with Jesus in heaven. And uh, that part of the hymn tells us who Jesus is. This hymn tells us what he did. It describes how Jesus descended into the, the earth. Then it tells us how Jesus ascends back into heaven 
and how God exalts him in the heavenly places. The action of him, therefore, follows a parabola. Jesus in heaven, Jesus on earth, Jesus back in heaven again. Now, what I want to do for the rest of the talk today is to take a closer look at those three snapshots of Jesus. They tell us why he is so famous. They tell us why he's worthy of worship. They give a full picture of Jesus that I think we should celebrate and honour this Christmas. So let's look at the first snapshot of Jesus, the beginning of the parabola. It tells us that about Jesus before Christmas, uh, before time began, in fact. And look at our passage. Look at verse 6. It tells us that the Jesus we see in the stable at Christmas is really God. Originally, before he existed on earth, before he came to earth, before he was born, this Jesus was in the form of God. This Jesus was God before all time. He shared in the divine splendor. He was in the image of God, the exact likeness and representation of God. He had equality with God. And because he was God, he had every right to be regarded as God. Every right to be recognized as equal to God. Every right to assert his divine status. But he did not. No. No, instead, he refused to seize hold of that which was his by right. Instead, in verse, as verses 6 and 7 say, he chose another path. What was that? He didn't regard equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. No, something to be grasped after. No, instead, he chose to empty himself. To assume the form of a servant. To be humiliated, to be born the God of all the earth, to be born a human being. To become a child, to become dependent on human beings. To enter a world of crying, to be fed, of wet nappies, or the equivalent in the ancient world, (laughs) of dependence and helplessness. This is the God of all the earth, the God of all the universe chose to become one of us. That is the Jesus of Christmas. God in the shape of a baby. God in the form of a human being. God humbling himself. Emptying himself of his rights to become one of us. Laying aside his splendor. Accepting humble conditions. Accepting obscurity. That's the Jesus of Christmas. It's profound, isn't it? That brings us to our second snapshot of Jesus, uh, Jesus the humiliated servant. Look at verse 8. We're told again he humbles himself. He humbles himself by becoming a human being. He puts himself under God. He puts himself where where every other human being finds themselves, under the rule of God. And when Jesus was in that position, he did what no human before him had done or after him has been able to do consistently. What did he do? Look at verses 6 to 8. He became God's servant. He obeyed God. What's more, his obedience extended to the very limits. He obeyed God to the point of death, even death on a cross. Look at verses 6 to 8. Listen to them again, they say, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, no, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, 
taking on the likeness of a human. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Can you see what happens here, what the writer is saying? Here Jesus reaches the very bottom of the parabola. God humbled. No, no, no. God humiliated. God dying on a cross at the hands of his creatures. The crucified God. Friends, this is the true Jesus. This is the Jesus of Christmas. A Jesus born into the world to die. Some children are born, aren't they, with a silver spoon in their mouth, as it were. But not this one, no. This child born at Christmas is born with a foot in the grave. That's the Jesus of Christmas. The once pre-existent son of God become human to die. That's, uh, with that, we come to snapshot three. Again, the parabola rises, as parabolas do, down, bottom, up again. Look at verse 9. God the Father, we are told, responds to the humiliated Jesus. He exalts Jesus. He gives him the name that is above every other name. And he crowns him Lord of all. God elevates the humiliated son to the place of highest honour. And he installs him in a seat of power. What Jesus had refused as a right What Jesus had refused to snatch out at, God now gives him as a gift. He who became a man, human, he who was crucified, is now worshipped and glorified as Lord and God. Look at the words of verses 10 and 11. God makes it so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. His mission is accomplished. Adam's deed has been undone. For those who care to accept it, our sin has been atoned for. And as a result, we can return to friendship with God. The real Jesus. The one we remember at this time of the year. Let me read those final verses of our passage to you again. For this reason, and it speaks beyond the grave now, doesn't it? It speaks of where he ends up. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, those in heaven and under the earth, and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So there we have it. He's famous because uh, the Jesus of Christmas is the Jesus who's famed of many things, but he's famous because of whom he was even before his human birth. He's the pre-existent son of God. He is famous because of what he's done. He's done what no other human being has done and lived rightly under the rule of God. So he's the humiliated servant. He's famous because of now how God has exalted him to his right hand in glory. That's where he is now. This is the Jesus we remember at this time of the year. He's the one we meet in a dingy stable lying in an animal's food trough. The God of all the earth lying in a food trough. 
This is the one who sucks at his mother's breast. Totally dependent. Thoroughly a human being. Jesus is a human being like us at that point. Clothed in human form. And that, friends, is the Jesus of Christmas. Listen to the word of one Christmas carol as it seeks to capture the ideas that we've read about this morning in this passage. Listen to them. You, you'll all know them. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold him come. Offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as, God, as man with man to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing on his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born that woman may no, no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, visitors, this is, this is the Jesus of Christmas I want to speak about today. I guess that all that remains is now for us to ask how we should respond to all of this. What should our reaction be to this? Well, I think it's straightforward. There are two direct responses, either demanded or implied in our passage. The first is straightforward. We should bow our knee before this Jesus. We should worship and serve him and confess while we can that Jesus is our Lord. For the Bible is clear that if we do not, then there will be a time when we'll realise the truth of his fame that we do not recognise now. But it will be too late. For our destiny, our eternity depends on how we treat Jesus now. The choice is ours. We can willingly recognise and treat him as Lord now or we can wait to be forced to recognise him in his glory later, only to be cut off from him forever. So this must be our first reaction to the fame of Jesus. We must recognise him and treat him as Lord. Our second reaction, I think, is also straightforward. We must imitate what we see Jesus do. For Jesus humbled himself more than anyone ever has he was obedient to God to the furthest extent of obedience. And in being obedient, he set us, sets us an example. Listen, listen to verses 1 to 5. These verse, the verses immediately before our psalm or our hymn. The Apostle Paul urges his hearers with these words or his readers with this word. He says, look, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation in his love, of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and mercy... Fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on the same goal, on one goal. Do nothing out of rivalry and conceit, but in humility consider ourselves, consider others as more important than ourselves, than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for their own interests, but also the interests of others. Make your own attitude that of Jesus Christ. Friends, if these verses, these verses I think are very clear, 
And if we believe in Jesus, if we've recognised him and received all that he has won for us, if we have fellowship with him, then we are to imitate him. In relation to God, we should be humble and obedient, as he was. We should be humble and consider others better than ourselves. We should let, not, not let our own interests dominate our relationships. Rather than that, we should look after the interests of others, even as our Lord did. We should not let strife or self-seeking or self-assertion mark our relationships with each other. We should be like our Lord Jesus, humble and obedient. These verses are clear. The Jesus we celebrate at Christmas is the famed Jesus. He is the pre-existent son of God who chose long ago in time to give up his rights. He is the humiliated Servant of God who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. He is the exalted Lord. Let's determine that we'll worship him as Lord this day. That we'll adore him as the pre-existent son. That we'll imitate him in our life before God and in our life together. Let us spend our lives in obedience and service of God and his people. This is the true response to the Jesus we see at Christmas. Let's respond appropriately to these great truths and this true perspective on Jesus. For this is who he is, friends. Let's welcome and celebrate Christmas this way, honouring him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son into the world. We thank you for all that he has done. Please help us to adore him as your pre-existent son. Help us to imitate him in our life before you and in our life together. For those who don't know Jesus, help us to turn and investigate him more. But for all of us, Father, help us to spend our lives in obedience and service of you and your people through your Son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.